This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Today's episode of Dead Rabbit Radio contains topics of a mature nature. Listener discretion is advised. When a popular businessman goes missing in the middle of the night, the entire community wonders what could have possibly happened. But all those questions are answered when his ghost shows up. And then we travel to Denmark to take a look at the utterly bizarre yet true story of Bodil Jonesson. She was a woman who wanted love more than anything else in the world. Unfortunately, not the kind of love that a human can provide. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, I did not, I did not plan it out this way. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Commanders, one of our live stream Thanksgiving live stream contributors, get on your feet and give it up for Mister Mad Dog Nine Nine Four. Woohoo! Yeah, come here, good boy. Come here, come here, Mister Mad Dog. <laughs> too, too much of tricks for us. Show me you can shake a hand. Mr. MadDog994, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. I see every day more and more people online talking about Dead Rabbit Radio, and that's exactly what we need to grow. So I really appreciate that. Mr. MadDog, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. Catch them in your mouth. And put them in the ignition. Put them in the ignition somehow and learn how to fly a dirigible. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. Fly us all the way out to West Virginia. Hit that time travel button too. Get ready to make everything sepia toned. We're headed back to the year 1850. And we're currently hovering above Wetzel County, West Virginia. I want to give a shout out to a website I found. I'd never heard of the story before. I found it on a website called esoterx.com. Don't 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 have don't have hard to spell names. E S O. Ah, just you'll see it in the show notes. You'll see it in the show notes. Anyways, esoterx.com. It's a great website. They got a lot of really good stuff on there. But we're in Wetzel County, West Virginia, and there's a newcomer to this little little slice of heaven. His name is John Gamble. He's a 36-year-old man. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a carpenter by trade. No relation. And he moves to Wetzel County, and he goes, you know what? I've been a carpenter for a long time. I want to see what else I can do with this business. I want to see what I can build up. People are like, what? That's not a joke. Also, you kind of sound like Barack Obama. He's all, who? He's going to see what he can build up as a business. So he, you know, he's a wood dude. He knows all about wood. So he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start transporting lumber. That's kind of in my wheelhouse. A wooden wheel. He keeps nudging people. They're like, your jokes suck, bro. 
He starts transporting lumber down the river and then wagon parts. He goes, those are made of wood. <laughs> Pinocchio, he's, he has a Pinocchio slave labor camp. I don't think he only did wood-related stuff. I don't think someone's like, hey, man, you can make a lot of money shipping this. He's like, yeah, it's not it's not wooden. I'm not going to do it. He was, you know, store goods and wagon parts and stuff like that. He also, this is wood-related, he also became an apple farmer. He bought an apple orchard. And this time, uh, this is a, just like a, a great season for apples. So he had tons of apples growing on these trees. Almost like he made a wish with a genie. Rubbed a little wooden lamp. Tons of apples. And then he goes, you know what? Apples are pretty cool and all, but how can I make them How can I make them wood colored? So he started turning his apples into apple cider. And business is booming. So much so that he's running out of barrels to put the cider in. Now, no joke, he did have all the wood for the barrels, but he didn't have the metal bands. You had to, like, wrap around it. So he goes, listen, he went to his neighbor's house, and he goes, hey, I need I need to borrow some money. Can I borrow $20? I, I need to support my business. I need to go buy some metal for these barrels. Can I borrow $20? And he actually, like, sold his wagon to his neighbors, and then they gave him a $20 IOU. And he's like, yeah, that's that's fine. That's enough. I guess back then you could just show a piece of paper and go, this guy owes me money. So I guess I can have all your metal now. He gets the $20 IOU. He goes to get the metal bands. He like has this little raft. He goes up river. It doesn't say if he had any adventures, but he does get what he went for. He's like, oh, he's all bored. He's like, oh, I really got these metal bands I needed. But I was hoping I'd go on some sort of whimsical adventure. He's coming back down, and he's like, oh, you know, I should stop at that dude's house and get my 20 bucks. So John Gamble walks over to his buddy's house. And when I say they're neighbors, they're neighbors in colonial America. They're separated by, like, miles, right? He's coming down the river. He stops at his neighbor's house to pick up his 20 bucks. And while he's there, his neighbors are actually having a guest over, this guy named Leb Mercer. Now, Leb Mercer, through another business dealing, Gamble, John Gamble, owed Leb $5. $5, right? This is insane. Five bucks. They're like, oh, man, I really hope he pays me that money back. I need my $5. It had to do where John Gamble bought a cow, and now he owed him like five bucks left on the cow. Well, anyways, John Gamble shows up to collect his money. Leb Mercer's there, and all this is going on. They're all friends. They're all friends. And Leb goes, hey, do you have that $5? And he goes, well, I, I have a bunch of money on me because I just did all this business. Can you break a 20? Dude, dude, quit flaunting your money around. No, we can't break a 20. We don't have $20 just sitting around. And John Gamble goes, look, I have $200 of cash on me. I want my $5. But if I can't get it tonight, that's fine. Why don't you meet me back at my place later in the week and you can give me the five bucks. I'll be able to make change then. Now, $200 back then was equivalent to about $7,600 today. So, I mean, it's a lot of money, I guess. $7,600, I, I guess that's a lot of money. I, I don't think it's a lot of money, personally. Not because I'm rich, not because I'm rich. I've never had that much money, so I, I don't know. But let's put it this way. I guess it's a lot of money, but is would it be money worth murdering over? <laughs> You're like nodding your head. You're like, yes, Jason, that is a lot of money. You have a bad sense of economics. 
$7,600 was basically creating this bloodlust in old Leb Mercer. He actually wasn't old. <laughs> These guys are all like 30, 40. And anyways, Leb Mercer is like, oh, $7,600 in 2022 money. I could really use that. <laughs> he doesn't say that out loud. But anyways, John Gamble leaves. And shortly afterwards, Leb goes, you know what? I have something to do. It has nothing to do with that guy. <laughs> You just walked out of here with a ton of money? Nope, not at all. I have something completely unrelated to do. So he leaves as well. Later that night, Leb goes back to his house, and he's a little muddy. A little muddy. Again, this is back in, I, I said colonial times earlier. It wasn't that far back. It wasn't like 1645, but... It's 1850, right? Everybody's a little muddy. I'm sure the president was like, sorry, I showed up to this inauguration, but I'm covered in mud. Everyone's like, so are we. It's, it was dirty. There was mud everywhere. He shows up, he's a little muddy. Maybe a little muddier than normal. And he also magically, I don't, I don't know what his excuse for this was for. If they said, why are you muddy? He goes, dude, it's 1850. What'd you expect? He also had a lot of money on him. Not only he was, I don't think he was counting money as he was walking through the door. He's like, "Hey, honey," but just over the next couple of weeks, people go, "That's Lev has a little more money than he normally has." But John Gamble never returns home. He never makes it back. They actually found his skiff, his little boat thing, floating down the river, and it still had like the barrel materials on it. But he was nowhere to be found. It's 1850. People were just disappearing. People were getting eaten by crocodiles. You'd be walking through and then a bear attacks you. It's 1850. Right? People would go missing. You'd be like, oh, no, that totally sucks. But maybe something very natural and unmurdery happened to this guy. Let's fast forward about a year. We're now in 1851. It's fall. And the big event going on in the area is the corn husking event. So they had like competitions. Uh, that's the only thing I can really think of. Maybe they had the world's biggest corn husk. It's just like this dying piece of foliage and like kids are using it as a slide. But it, I mean, it's 1851. What else are you going to do? Half the town's already muddy. The other half of the town has been eaten by bears. So they're going to the corn husking event. And there's about 20 young men there. They're all pretty drunk off. I was going to say corn alcohol like it was a joke. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure we call that Everclear. I'm sure that's like the strongest alcohol available on the market today. These 20 men, they're all pretty young. They are leaving the corn husking event and they decide to see who can find the fastest way back to their town. So these 20 men just split up. These 20 drunk dudes wandering through various forested area and glens. One guy probably tried swimming. He didn't make it, so he didn't make it. These 20 guys split up. They're seeing who can find the fastest way home. And that's where we're going to meet this young man named John Hindman. Or Hindman. But anyways, John Hindman... Was, he goes, I know the fastest way home. I know the fastest, I, my drunk senses will help me walk through the dark of this forest. He begins walking through this forested area near the river. He knows he's going to win the prize. This place was known as Ray's Run. He's walking down this path in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, 
there's someone walking right next to him. And it really creeps him out. Again, they're in the middle of nowhere. It's late at night. He doesn't know who this guy is. There's just a guy walking right next to him, super quiet. And it's really disturbing him. But if he thought that was bad, if John Hindman thought that was the worst thing that was going to happen, this guy walking next to John Hindman goes, hey, listen. He goes, quote, I am John Gamble. Leb Mercer killed me. Take him up and have justice done. In an instant, before John Hindman can even react, the stranger next to him vanishes, disappears into thin air. John Hindman instantly sobers up and begins running down the path to get home. Now, John Hindman did not know who John Gamble was. He had never seen him, never met him, nothing. I don't even know if he was aware. I think there's a pretty big age difference between these two people because one's like a drunk young man. The other one's an established businessman in the area. And again, last time I have to say it's 1850s West Virginia. The area is huge. So they had never met. They had never met each other. As far as John Hindman knows, he just saw ghosts. Just saw some random ghost show up. I guess it doesn't matter. I guess it doesn't matter whether or not it's important. If it's a famous ghost, like if Slimer showed up in your bedroom, you're still going to pee your pants. You're not going to be like, "Can I get your autograph? I know you." He runs home, and since again he doesn't know any of the backstory, doesn't know either Leb Mercer or John Gamble. He runs home, and he doesn't tell anybody because on the one hand. He doesn't even know, like, he was drunk, he's out in the middle of the woods, he doesn't know exactly what he saw, and on the other hand, he'll get mocked, because ghosts aren't real, right? Nobody's going to believe him, my friends are going to make fun of me, I'm just not going to say anything. And so he doesn't, for the first couple days. But it really, I think it would be one thing if you walked through the woods and you saw a ghost. You may never tell anyone about that. We cover a lot of stories on the on the show where people are like, this happened when I was a kid and I've never told anyone about it. I think that is pretty typical because people will make fun of you. But this ghost showed up and said, hey, I was murdered. Here's the guy who murdered me and I'm, I've had no justice. Like that guy's still out there. So eventually John Heinemann does confide in one of his friends and then another of his friends and he's telling them, Hey, I saw this thing. I saw this ghost. And this ghost said that he was murdered. And I don't know what to do. And he told like two or three people. And I don't know who the third person was. But it's definitely a blabbermouth. Because all of a sudden the entire town had heard this story. That John Hindman the other night was walking home. And he saw the ghost of John Gamble. Now you had other people who were older, who knew the story, who knew John Gamble, and they begin, this is obviously now he's pointing out this other guy as the murderer. Like, Leb Mercer was also a businessman in the area. I probably should have said that earlier. He wasn't just some crazy drunk living on the edge of the woods. He also knew people in town. He wasn't super connected. He wasn't as successful as a businessman as John Gamble. People knew who he was. People who remembered John Gamble, they were confronting Hindman and they go, what did you actually see? Like, we heard that you saw this ghost. What was it? And again, John Hindman had never seen Gamble before. 
Never met him, but he was able to not only describe him basically to a T. He w- this was something you couldn't gather from a picture. He he the way he was descri- describing the event when they were walking, he was telling it. And people who knew John Gamble, I guess there was a certain detail that he used, and he perfectly described the way John Gamble walked. So I don't know if he had like a limp. I don't know if he did a little jump. He's doing the gritty the whole time. Because that was one of the key factors. People go, no, he must have seen John Gamble. Because even if you saw a photo of someone, you're not like, well, that guy that guy looks like he walks with his hands in his pocket. So what happens is Leb Mercer gets arrested. On the testimony of a drunk young man who saw a ghost in the middle of nowhere. This is a true story. This is a true story. We have news reports of it and things like that. Let Mercer gets arrested for first-degree murder. Now, the year is 1854. This whole process has taken about three years to play out. And the trial has started. Now, what the prosecutor has going for them is John Gamble's missing. And a ghost, and a ghost showed up. A ghost showed up to this young man one night. That's pretty much their entire case. Let Mercer being muddy, let Mercer having money. There's so many ways you can just be like, well, yeah, I have money. I started carrying around more money because I had this business dealing. I mean, if you think about it, let Mercer at this point has had four years to get his story together. The only, and this is what let Mercer's lawyer argued. The only reason why my client got arrested was because of a ghost. And ghosts aren't real. The ghosts aren't real. You can't arrest somebody. Well, you did. But, like, now we're on trial. And the the only testimony you have is from this drunk kid who says he saw a ghost. His lawyer goes, listen. If John Gamble's ghost showed up in the middle of the night to that kid... To say that Leb Mercer murdered him. Then surely. Ladies and gentlemen. That same ghost should appear in court. To give the testimony to us. And the judge of the trial agreed. The judge says I am (laughs) so ridiculous. The judge goes. I am compelling the ghost of John Gamble to show up and to take the stand and point out Leb Mercer as his murderer. You can obviously tell the judge and the defense lawyer were having none of this ghost talk. And I'm sure even the prosecutor was like, oh my God, but maybe we can convince a jury. Maybe I can use the mud evidence, your honor. They're like, no, no, we're all muddy. I'm muddy under my robes right now. The ghost must show up at trial and point out Leb Mercer. So they waited. Now, I don't know how long they waited. I don't know if it was like he has to show up in the next five minutes. I don't know if they said the next day, if the ghost isn't here in the courtroom, then what other evidence do you have? But they did say the ghost has to show up, and obviously the ghost didn't show up. I say obviously because if the ghost had showed up, there would never be a doubt about paranormal events ever again. There would have been a little stenographer typing out what the ghost was saying. There would have been proof in front of all these people, photographers, and the ghost goes on a tour. 
He goes testifying in other people's murder trials. Oh, I know the ghost. I know the ghost that that person killed. It was him. It was him. The ghost didn't show up. The ghost of John Gamble was then held in contempt of court. But again, I mean, what are you going to do? It's not like he's going to show up to jail. He didn't even show up to the courthouse. And Leb Mercer was acquitted of the murder charges. And so the story ends with a little bit of extra info that we found out after the trial. It turns out, to really no one's surprise when you're reading about this more than 100 years in the future, it turns out that not only did Leb Mercer murder John Gamble, though the ghost was true, the ghost actually was pointing out Leb Mercer. When Leb Mercer found out about the ghost showing up and pointing him out, Leb Mercer did go to his lawyer to talk about confessing. Like, what would, be ha- what would happen if I confessed to this crime? What would happen? Like, what would be the long-term ramifications? And the, his lawyer basically had to convince him don't confess. Don't confess to anything. And basically, this is like a daily struggle. He just wanted to get it off his chest. And the defense lawyer was like, don't say anything at all. Do not confess to murdering that guy. You, there is no evidence that they have other than this ghost. But then I was like, but I did murder the guy. And his ghost pointed me out. This is terrifying. Don't say anything. And after the trial, Leb Mercer was never really right in the head again. Like, he just kind of, they said he would walk around muttering to himself, acting in an odd way. He's probably extremely paranoid. I think most people who do, like, a one-off murder are paranoid for the rest of their lives. But then if your murder victim's ghost appeared and told the truth that you did murder them... You know, it would it would mess with your head. You'd be thinking, when's he coming back? Like, is he going to come back and get me late one night? They had never found John Gamble's body either. So, I mean, you could argue, the defense certainly would have, that he, John Gamble just left town. Like, he just left. He went somewhere, ran off with some young woman. But we do know that Led Mercer was trying to confess. It did terrify him. He did murder John Gamble, there are news reports in the 50s and 60s, 1950s and 60s, saying that uh, Led Mercer confessed on his deathbed, but that we don't know if that's true. I guess there is some controversy about that as far as whether or not he said that. But yeah, fascinating look at the world of paranormal and the world of true crime colliding into each other. This guy committed this murder. This ghost showed up. We covered a story a long time ago, and it's one of my favorites about this young woman gets killed at an office building, and nobody knows who killed her. And then she starts, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but I think she then begins to either haunt across town this person's dreams or actually starts to possess the person. It was like, hey, hey, I was murdered by this ex-employee we had. He walked in and killed me and stuffed me in the closet. And that guy was actually found guilty of the crime. Like, that was... There wasn't a key piece of evidence, but that did push the investigation forward to look at one particular person, and it turns out he really did murder that person. That's a very, like, widely discussed in the world of paranormal true crime. I'll put it in the show notes. It was a cool episode we did a long time ago. I really liked that one. But we do have this crossover, and you have this ghost, but this guy didn't get his justice. I mean, Leb Mercer could have easily just confessed to it, 
But no, he they had a good lawyer. And the lawyer's like, do not confess to this crime. We can beat this. And then it kind of became a footnote in trial history. Unfortunately, the actual trial, like the court documents, have been destroyed at this time. They said they were either lost or destroyed before the turn of the century. So we don't have the actual court documents. But we do have articles written about the story as it was going on. And nowadays, that creek, that area where his ghost appeared, is no longer called Ray's Run. It's called Gamble's Run, named after John Gamble. It's a fascinating story. I absolutely loved it. I, I hope you were drinking some toasty apple cider while we were listening to it. And while you are, there's a ghost standing behind you nodding his head. He's like, yeah. I, I don't know why he would be in your house. He's getting ready to possess you. All of a sudden, you become obsessed with everything wood. You're like, ah. Mr. Mad Dog 994. <laughs> Mr. Mad Dog 994. Let's go ahead and touch the keys to the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind West Virginia. Fly us all the way out to good old Denmark. We're going to take a look at the story of a young woman named Bodil Bajarta Johansson. Bodil, she was born in... Hungi. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys. <laughs> Hungi, Denmark. I'll tell you guys right now. There's not a lot of stuff I have to pronounce in this one. <laughs> You're already bleeding from your ears. You're like, ah, don't worry. This story's not about a bunch of people named Jordan Schlen or something like that. Every, this, this is it. This is it. We got to get these out of the way and then it'll all be regular pronounceable words. Bodil is this young woman. Well, at this point in her life, she's a young girl. She was born back in September 25th, 1944. She grew up in a pretty rough household. Her father was an absentee father. He was in the military, so he was always off doing something. She was left alone with her mother, who was physically abusive towards little Bodil. She was physically and mentally abusive. She beat her quite often. So, I mean... Bodil doesn't have a lot going for her early on in life, but maybe things will get better. Bodil is just trying to make the best of life, but it's hard. It's really hard. Her mom is a real piece of work. When Bodil turns 12 years old, her mother gets this. I don't we don't know why her mother got fixated on this because Bodil's done a bunch of interviews. She's really talked about her life. We know a lot of. Specifics, but we don't know exactly why her mom had this thought. But at some point when she was 12 years old, her mom was convinced that Bodil had been raped. And Bodil said in interviews that never happened. I was never raped. I don't know why her mom was saying this, but her mom thought that Bodil got raped. And so she beat Bodil up. She beat Bodil up for being raped, but she wasn't raped. You're just getting beat up by your mom. And you have to realize at this point, your mom's insane. Like, she's imaginary. She's imagining the worst thing that she can imagine. Then she's blaming me for causing it. And that's why she's beating me up. My mom's just nuts. My mom was nuts. So at a certain point, they get in this huge screaming match. And she's getting beaten up. Her mom's screaming at her. And Bodil screams back at her mom, when I grow up, I'm going to have sex with boars. I mean, I guess that'll end end an argument, right? 
I guess that will shock the opponent into like, what are you talking about? When you grow up, you're going to have sex with hairy pigs, big hairy pigs. It's not okay if you have if you're like oh that pig that pig doesn't have any hair that's okay, but the hairy pigs no that's gross. When I grow up, I'm gonna have sex with boars. That happened when she was 12 years old. She got in that fight. She only lasted about another three years under the thumb of her abusive mom, and she left home at the age of 15. She left home and she decided to pursue her passion. She had always wanted to work on a farm. And so she did. She got a job at a farm and her boss is like, oh, Bodil, you're doing such a good job. You're like scooping up the poop and throwing out the hay. I love all the stuff that you're doing, Bodil. But the farmer didn't notice that Bodil had this weird fascination. She always seemed, the the word he used was entranced. She always seemed entranced. When the animals were having sex with each other. <laughs> Jason. Jason, please stop. Please stop. The first segment was so good. What are you doing? What are you doing? She would just sit there and watch. She's all taking her break out there. She's like, oh, it's my 15 minute break. She's sitting there with like a Mr. Pib and some chips. And she's watching the pigs have sex. She was entranced by the sight of animals breeding. She eventually, you know, she got her skills as, you know, being a farm person. And saved up a little money and started her own farm. This very successful farm. But no hay. Well, probably hay. But she wasn't out there like digging up rutabagas or standing on top of the barn going, Look at me, animals. It's speech time. Her farm was specifically a breeding farm. Breeding farm. So she would have cows and ducks and chickens or whatever. And then you would bring your cows and ducks and chickens and they would have sex there. She ran a breeding farm specifically. Super successful. But people really started to gossip in town because they said, listen, we know why it's successful. This is the housewives. That was my housewife voice. Henry, I don't want you going over to old Bodle's farm anymore. I know why you like to take your bulls there, because she's pretty. And while your bulls are banging her bulls, you're staring at that pretty girl. I don't want you going there anymore. So even though she had a successful business, she was a young, she's quite young. She was still a teenager. She was a young, pretty girl who ran this breeding farm. And the wives back at home weren't having it. So she lost business because of that. And also, there was some gossip about Bodil at this point. Because she really liked watching those animals have sex. Also, she had like a heart-shaped locket necklace. And inside of that was a photo of her dog. People were a little bit suspicious of that. She also had a bunch of boars. She had a ton of boars at her breeding farm. But people weren't suspicious about that. Because they didn't hear what she yelled to her mom. Anyways, her business starts to fail due to country gossip and women telling their husbands they can't go over there anymore. And we have two paths collide at this point that end up in the worst possible combination. At age 17... Bodil starts to do some light fetish pornography, probably like leather stuff, maybe whips or paddles or things like that, just to make ends meet. 
she gets into this world by just doing some really basic fetish stuff. By age 25, she's decided to take it to the next level. And when she turns 25 is around the time when Denmark legalizes the production of pornography in the country. All of it. All pornography is now legal to be made in Denmark. And you have this company called the Color Climax Corporation. And they go, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome because you got all those prudes around the world. The United States, they'll shut down movie theaters if they show like a nipple. But in Denmark, we can make any type of pornography we want. That's what the law says, right? The Color Climax Corporation then began to create the very first commercial child porn films. They go, it's legal, right? Let's make it. Where you actually had a company, a legal company set up, all the paperwork's filled with the government, and they are legally making child porn films. They specialize in films between the ages of 7 and 11. Now, because pornography was completely legal in Denmark, I mean, why stop there, right? They're like, what, what, what's the next grossest thing we can think of, guys? You had a bunch of people sitting around in a smoke-filled boardroom, and they go, I know what it is. I was, I was driving by the farm. <laughs> I was driving by the farm on the way to work today. Why don't we start making commercially produced bestiality movies? Can you imagine everyone in the boardroom is like, oh, come on. How gross are we going to get? And the CEO goes, no, no, Chuck, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. But who could we find? Who could we find that would be willing to have sex with animals on film? He's puffing his cigar. Well, Bodel ended up getting a job with Color Climax Corporation. And she starred in over 40 commercially produced bestiality movies filmed in Denmark. She became a star. Her nickname... Which I, I gotta give, it's not a very imaginative nickname. You would figure they would have come up with something more imaginative. Her nickname was the Boar Girl. I mean, I guess, I mean, how much imagination do you have to have? She's having sex with boars. She's having sex with boars. She's having sex with all kinds of animals, but boars are her specialty. So they begin calling her Boar Girl. She actually was winning awards. She was winning awards. You didn't know this? You didn't know there was an award show? For bestiality? What what world? What world do we live in? What's crazy is we don't do this anymore. This is totally illegal, right? Denmark it did eventually make all this stuff illegal again. But you had a time period where it what, all pornography was legal. It didn't matter what it was. If it was pornographic in nature, it could be filmed and distributed in the country of Denmark. People we're trying to smuggle it out of Denmark. We'll get to that in a second. But anyway, she won. She won the grand prize of the Wet Dream Film Festival. <laughs> That's a real thing. It was actually a documentary about her that won the prize. But she became an underground celebrity, like in the art world outside of Denmark. Like in Denmark, it's straight up pornography. It's made for one reason. But it became so rebellious and so avant-garde 
that people around the world were like, have you heard of the Boar Girl? And people were like, get away from me, you lunatic. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it has something to do with having sex with boars. It's so fascinating in the pre-internet days, pre-internet days, the country of Britain is trying to clamp down. Because, I mean, this is like this is like right across the river, basically. Denmark has all this horrific porn coming out of it. Britain at the time, like in the 70s, 80s, they didn't even like horror movies that were too bloody. And all of a sudden, you started having commercially produced child porn. So like sets and plot lines and costumes. Oh, and then you had this bestiality stuff coming over. You had a, like a division of the police force trying to stop these videos. What happened was there was a movie called Animal Farm. And it was a bootleg of a bunch of clips from the Color Climax Corporation, from a bunch of their bestiality movies. One copy got smuggled into Britain in the early 1980s. Just one copy was able to get past customs and show up in the country. And from that one copy, it was just constantly duplicated. The police could net one. It's, it's almost like a virus, right? You get patient zero can't come in. They said we had one. And the reason why they know, because the they were making copies of the copy. Everything that they did catch after that, they could go, well, this is obviously like a VHS to VHS transfer of this one tape that came in because every tape after that was basically a second generation. Maybe there were some thirds, but it's because of one copy got into the country. They couldn't, they could never catch every copy of Animal Farm. Which George Orwell also should have had a lawsuit against them. I think he had other things going on. I think he was dead at that point. So you had this color, this video called Animal Farm by the Color Climax Corporation. It is how I said $200 back then is $7,600 now. This Animal Farm video today was basically like the level of like Rotten.com. As far as it wasn't animals or people being killed, but it was so shocking. Because it wasn't just Bodil. It was other people having sex with animals. I have, a, I have a list here. I'm not going to go through the list. I think you can imagine. It's all farm animals and, and sea creatures. But people would watch it and throw up. People had never seen anything like that before. It was so repulsive. One person, there was a documentary called The Dark Side of Porn. I've been looking for it. I actually wanted to check it out. It was an older documentary. It what People compared this video, like the shock level to it. People compared it to when they were sitting at home and they were told President Kennedy was assassinated. That was basically the emotional impact of someone popping this in your VCR. You're like, whoa, whoa, what am I watching? Why are you showing it to me? Why are you showing it to me? Why are you tying me down in this chair and making me watch this? It was so shocking. It was so forbidden and so disgusting. And I think part of it came from the fact that it was produced. Like nowadays you have like the Mr. Hands video. It's like camcorders late at night. That's not what they were doing. They were, I don't know if they had storylines. I don't know. They're like, oh no, this prince has been turned into a boar. Maybe if I kiss the boar, it'll turn back into a prince. I don't know if they had plots for the bestiality things. It would be hilarious if they did. I don't know. I've never seen any of them. She is still like this. 
underground art figure, Bodil, is still pretty popular. And she did an interview in 1980. I'm talking about this. You know, magazines wanted to interview her. The Boar Girl. Like, here's a woman who's willingly having sex with animals on film. This is just such a... This is truly an outside subculture. Some people would say it's outsider art. Some people would call it filthy porn. But she's famous. And she's making money. She's making a living having sex with animals on camera. But then her life takes a turn for the worse. And you're like, Jason... Her life took a turn for her worse way long ago. Way, way long ago. Well, it got even worse than that when her beloved dog died. The dog that she had, the little pendant, the little heart-shaped necklace, a little photo of him, that was her lover as well. That wasn't just like, you're a good boy. She was banging Spot. She was banging her dog. In 1980, she had this this quote. I thought this was interesting. She goes, quote, Spot is the only living creature that has loved me for being me. She didn't expect to get anything back. She soothed me when I was ill. I've experienced a lot. <laughs> I've experienced a lot with Lassie and like him a lot. That's her new lover, Lassie, not the Lassie. She didn't, uh, let me, I've experienced a lot with Lassie, and like him a lot, but it'll never be the same as with Spot. Lassie has been unfaithful to me. Why would you even even talk about this in an interview? Like, I've been cucked by my dog. Lassie has been unfaithful to me. He's an every girl's dog. (laughs) This is not a parody. This is real, and it's actually kind of tragic, but... You're getting jealous. Listen, man, if you're banging a dog, that's bad enough. But if you're jealous that your dog is with other dogs. Lassie has been unfaithful to me. He's an every girl's dog. Spot was mine. Completely mine. After Spot died, she became an alcoholic, like a hardcore alcoholic. I'm sure she drank a lot in the previous years. But... She became an alcoholic. She started drinking heavily. She put on 66 pounds in about a year. And the next year in 1881 was going to be a serious problem for her. Because the nation of Denmark, the nation of Denmark goes, what in the world were we thinking? Like, what we thought, we thought, we thought you guys would be rational about this. When we made pornography legal, we figured we'd get Fellini to do a movie with more boobs. We did not think it was going to be child porn and animals. What were we thinking? So they made it illegal. <laughs> they basically go, nope, uh-uh. This is all illegal again. You can't make any of this stuff. And she ended up getting caught like in the aftermath of this. She did 30 days in jail for you know breaking one of these laws. And, and again, after the death of her dog, now the laws have changed. She has a serious drinking problem. She can't keep her breeding farm up. <laughs> There's no pun intended. She actually, because she's drinking so heavily, she can't maintain her farm. And it starts to fall into disrepair. The animals are suffering. She's not feeding them. She's not taking care of them. All of her animals on her farm either died naturally or had to be euthanized. They were so malnourished. They were so terribly treated. 
that all of her animals were put down. And again, it wasn't because someone was like, we got to shut down that witch and her entire operation. No, these animals were suffering. She com- she's now lost her business, both of them, right? She was a commercially profitable, she was a commercially professional bestiality actress. And then her actual breeding farm, that business has gone under as well. She needs to make money, not just to support her, but her alcohol addiction at this point. She becomes a prostitute just to make ends meet. And, you know, because she was a huge figure in the underground art world, people kept tabs on her. Like, they'd be like, hey, I wonder what that Bodil girl's up to. You'd have people still trying to hunt her down. (laughs) Not for sport, but, you know, like for an interview or something like that. And it turns out that at a certain point, she wasn't even having sex for money so she could have a place to live or have something to eat. She was having sex for alcohol and tranquilizers. She died only four years after Denmark made this pornography illegal again. She died January 3rd, 1985. Cirrhosis of the liver. She was only 40 years old. So that's the story of Bodil, a young woman who obviously had some mental health problems. And she was born in a weird country at a weird time where she was actually able to capitalize on that. She became a world-renowned bestiality actress. She might be the only person who can claim that job title, but this is one of those stories that even when it was going on, I can't imagine anyone thought Bodil's life would have a happy ending. I really don't think anyone believed that everything was going to be okay. And I don't think Bodil's story is finished either. I do think at some point you will start to have commercially produced extreme pornography once again. Like we have a little bit of it already. Extremely violent pornography made by big porn studios. I I do think you're going to keep seeing people push the extremes because the extremes is what brings attention. Extremes is what brings in the money. And I do think that for whatever reason, society keeps pushing to the extremes. We don't learn from the past. We don't learn from Denmark. We don't learn from the story of Bodil. But I think all those lessons are going to be learned again fairly quickly. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.